Amen. In a Peanuts comic strip, Charlie Brown is talking with Lucy as they walk home on the last night of school. Charlie Brown says to Lucy, I got straight A's, isn't that great? Lucy, in her typical fashion, shoots down poor Charlie Brown and says, I don't believe you, Charlie Brown. Unless, me, unless you show me your report card, I cannot believe you. Now, we can relate to Lucy, can't we? Because seeing is believing. It's really easy to believe something we can see, isn't it? On July 4, 1952, Florence Chadwick attempted to swim the 26 miles from Canalila Island to Long Beach, California. The waters were cold, sharks swam, swam nearby, and a dense fog made it impossible to see dry land. After 15 hours, she gave up, despite repeated encouragement from her coach. She was a half a mile from shore. Chadwood explained, if I could have seen the land, I could have made it. If we could have seen the land, we could make it. Now, I don't know what you're going through this morning. I know what I've been struggling with. And I want to see the land. I want to see God's hand in something. <clears throat> but sometimes we can't do that. Most people have to see something before they can believe it. We've uh, heard it said that I'm from Missouri, I'm a show me. You have to show me everything. And that's kind of the way that we've, we live our lives. Now we're told not to believe everything we hear and only half of what you see. Especially in this day and age. We've got elections going on and, and I'll tell you it's been a nightmare with all these things going on. And isn't it amazing how everyone is a Christian when it's time for the elections? Now we have to wade through all that garbage to be able to find something that we can believe in. A candidate we can trust. And I've had a hard time. I mean, we, we have elected good old Christian boys. Obama was a Christian when he ran for office. Clinton and Carter were good old Baptist boys when they ran for president. And we know how well that's turned out, right? Everybody's a Christian wanting your vote. And maybe they are, and maybe they aren't, just because they, their um, reality doesn't line up with what I believe doesn't mean they're not Christian. The Bible says there's only way to become a believer, and that's accept Jesus as your personal Savior and make him Lord and Savior of your life. Not just Savior, he has to be your Lord. And I can't judge someone else's heart, and people say, yeah, we're supposed to judge their fruit. Well, we don't have a lot of fruit in these elections. Do we? We have lies and more lies, especially from politicians. How do you know if a politician is lying? Their lips are moving. And that's the reality of it, especially now. Now I have my preference on who I want. And this year I'm voting my wallet. Some of you will get that in a minute. Because I'm tired of paying so much taxes we have no money. I'm tired of sending all of our jobs overseas or to Mexico when our own people are out of jobs. And I know they're doing jobs Americans won't do. Well, I'd love to do some of those jobs I've seen them doing. Wouldn't you? I mean, some of these are, uh, illegal aliens are making $20 an hour. 
Not only that, they're giving them free board and room. They're giving them money, medication. Now, I, I really have a problem with that because we, I think old people need to be taken care of. People that have worked their whole lives. And I've always felt this way, not just since I got old. <laughs> I understand it more now that I'm there. But in my younger years, I have always had a burden for the old people because we just throw them aside and said, okay, you're done, you're not productive anymore. My mother lived with us for 14 years. She got the huge amount of money. She, I think she ended up after the 14 years getting $412 or something a month on Social Security. After working her whole life, we can't live on that kind of money, can we? But that's how we treat the old people. We need to give them more money. We need to, to um, put them in the facilities of prisons that they have because they have all the good stuff. They got 24-hour service. They get good meals. They got exercise places and all this other kind of stuff. What do the old people get? Can't afford to buy it, rent anything. Can't afford to drive their cars because they ain't got any money. We need to swap that out. Take care of our old people. And I know that uh, a lot of the cultures don't, aren't like that. But I'm thankful the Native Americans appreciate the old people more than anyone. They respect them and they listen to them more than uh, what we do. Because to us, to most of the people, they say, what have you done for me lately? They don't care. They want to push them in a corner and forget about them. But God doesn't forget about them. So if that's you, God will take care of you. Now, this has been a rough time for us the last few months. And it's been a rough time for Sheldon and this church because Satan has attacked us more than you'll ever know. The battles that we face, I will not ever tell you about. So I told you about something this morning. I didn't want to. But there are more things that we deal with that you don't have a clue about because I don't want to share them with you because it isn't beneficial. But God, he has been attacking our bodies. And in that attacking us, they're attacking this church. So if you're not praying for us, you need to. Because if, the, if, they can, if the Satan can take out the pastor, the sheep scatter. Pastor is the shepherd of the, of the flock. And this is the flock that this pastor has been called to. And if Satan can attack me and attack Pastor Sheldon and get us to, to leave or get us to whatever, the sheep will scatter. I have been frustrated enough that I told Randy, I'm just going to go down put the keys to the church in an envelope and send them to the district, say, I'm have it. Oh, you say you don't think like that? Oh, yeah, I have. You can ask Randy, because it just breaks my heart, some of the stuff that goes on. And, and so we're there. But we know that we're committed to God and we're committed to this church. And we've put this church and your family ahead of our family, and that's what a pastor's supposed to do. Because you are our flock. So we can't do a lot of things that we need to do because of our commitment to this church. Now we know about the disciples. Now we can name a few of them, can't we? We know about Peter, James, and John. They're 
Man, they're in there. They were in the inner circle of Christ's disciples. And we know, know Judas very well. So nobody names their kid Judas, do they? I mean, I don't think anybody names their kid Jezebel either. Because what's attached to those names? So we don't do it. But there's one other disciple that, that I have been familiar with, and maybe you are, maybe you aren't. And his name is Doubting Thomas. How many know about him? <laughs> we know him because what's he known for? He's noting, known for doubting. But it's, is that really accurate? Have we ever felt like we missed something big that everyone else seemed to know? Have we ever felt like we weren't spiritual enough because past failures? Have we ever felt like we could believe more in Jesus if we could just catch a glimpse of him? If that's you, you're in the same kind of company Thomas was in. Now we put him down. But we don't know how we would react in that situation. John 20, 24 to 29. Now Thomas, also named as Didymus, Didymus was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the, this was after the resurrection. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, again, Uh, nails were and put my hands on this side I will not believe a week later his disciples were in the house house again and Thomas was with them though the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you then he said to Thomas put your finger here see my hands reach out your hand and put it in my side stop doubting and believe Thomas said to him my Lord my God then Jesus told him because you have seen you have believed Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now we've stereotyped Thomas because of this one instant. How would you like your life to be stereotyped because of one instance of your, in your life? One thing that you did, though after you've done it, you've turned it over in your head many, many times and say, man, I wish I could have done that differently. Why did I do that or why did I say that? You ever done that? <coughs> Well, how would you like to be defined about that moment through thousands of years? I don't want to be, because there are some things that I'm not proud of in my life. I'm thankful they're under the blood. That's why I don't run for office. I got too many skeletons. <laughs> because they'll find everything, true or not. If it's not true, they'll make it up. <clears throat> and they're doing that. Now, only the book Gospel of John talks about Thomas. He's the only one that records it. Now, in case you don't know, John is considered the gospel of belief. And so here's John talking about belief, and everything he wrote is about that, and he draws the spotlight right on Thomas, the doubter. Wow. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem to, to fit it. So let's take a few moments and see what we really know about Thomas. John 21, 2 and 3. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. 
I'm going out to fish, Simon told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Of course, this was after the resurrection also. Now, uh, from this we learn that Thomas was probably a fisherman. Now, most of Jesus' ministry happened around the Sea of Galilee because that was the, the major job provider for people there, was fishing. And they ate a lot of fish. I'm glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> but they were fishermen, and so was Thomas. <clears throat> um, Luke six thirteen to 16. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose of them twelve, twelve whom, whom he had also designed, designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot. I think if I was Judas, the son of James, I would change my name. <laughs> Call me James from now on. <laughs> so... <clears throat> who we, of course, we know is who was the traitor. Now, Thomas was a follower and disciple of Christ from the very beginning of his ministry. Thomas chose to follow Jesus. Thomas chose to give up his whole life, his career, everything that he ever knew to follow Jesus. And he was chosen by Jesus to be one of the twelve. And this group of twelve was the main leadership of the disciples. Now, Jesus didn't have just 12 disciples. How many know that? We know he had at least 70 because it tells us that, and he sent them out two by two. So we know he had at least 70 of them, but out of all those people that followed him, and I probably hundreds and hundreds of them for various reasons, some for what they could get out of him, and we have a lot of people like that. They go to church for what they can get out of the church, Give us a sad story, give me some money, and then when they've um, drained all the sympathy they can from you, then they go somewhere else and start over again. That happens, believe it. And uh, that's why we give money to the fund in, in uh, Kanab. They have a fund set up for people that are, have issues, and they can filter through the people that really have needs and the ones that don't. Because we as Christians are the easiest guppies there are in the world, aren't we? Man, you give me a sad story, and I'll give you money. When they want money for a ministry on TV, what do they show you? They show you these skinny kids that are just dying, look like they're, they're starving to death, and they are, and I don't want to belittle those ministries at all, because there are some good ministries that do reach out in a good way. That's why we need to check where we send our money in these ministries, to see how much of that ministry or that money that you send actually goes to the need. The United Way is a big money maker, but only 10% of the money collected goes to the need. If you want to uh, support a ministry, do it through the Assemblies of God because they know how to do it, and they do it right. And 85 to 90% goes to the need, and that's what we want. Anything less than that, don't give it to them, Period. Because you're throwing money right on to, might as well go flush it in the toilet. Because that's what's happening to your money. So, <clears throat> he was a core leader. And he spent a great deal of time with Jesus. 
Man, that's, you know, one of the reasons I'd like to have been there, because we could spend a great deal of time with Jesus. Wouldn't it be nice? Well, I wouldn't like no, not having air conditioning, though. John eleven sixteen. Then Thomas, also called, known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus was uh, on his way to raise Lazarus from the dead. And the religious leaders have become increasingly mad at Jesus and jealous of his ministry and his followers, and they were seeking a way to kill him. And so they knew that it was dangerous, and they tried to talk him out of going anywhere. No, stay here where it's safe. But Jesus said, no, i got to go. i got to go. See, Lazarus was part of his flock, so he went, facing possible death. And so Thomas says, okay, we'll go and we'll die with you. And uh, they went. They didn't know whether they were going to die or not, but they went, were willing to. But Thomas was the one that voiced that. And they went. I don't know whether they went because Thomas said that or whether because he said, let's go. I hope, like to think it was because Jesus said, let go. And sometimes we have to go places we don't want to go. And say, okay, God, if you want me to go there, I'll go. If I have to die, I'll die. Because <laughs> some of the places, places God wants to send us, we feel like we, might, we just might die. <laughs> and then we find out that when we're there and God works situations out, if God sends you there, you're going to learn something there and, and you're going to grow. We know that personally when he sent us to Colorado because we didn't want to go. I had a good job. And uh, Randy had a choice because they closed the um, Fort Douglas, where he'd work, and uh, he had, a, had an opportunity, well, it was, it was re- retire or go to Colorado. Now, it was, it was you know, it's kind of too, he could have retired, but he wouldn't have got a lot of money because he was too young to retire. So, we went kicking and screaming to Colorado, and like I told you, I think, last week, we learned a lot while we was there. And God knocked a lot of that, our religiosity out of us so he could use us better. And we've always been involved in ministry my whole life, almost. So, <clears throat> but so Thomas was a sold-out follower of Jesus and knew he could die. Do those sound like the words of a skeptic? No, they don't. John 14, 1 to 4. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you, will also, you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now Jesus is pre- trying to prepare his disciples <clears throat> for his death and resurrection. But see, they're not understanding it. They're not getting it. Of course, I wouldn't either. You know, we look back on it, and we see how the puzzle pieces fit together. But they didn't. Remember, they didn't have this. The Gospel of John wasn't written until after Jesus left. (laughs) Long time afterwards. So they didn't have that benefit of knowing those kind of things. And they had, they had the, of course, they were all Jews, so they had their bar mitzvahs, which means they memorized the first five books of the Bible before they were considered a man. We need to go back to that. 
Our kids, by the time they're 14, should have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Try to get that done, parents. (laughs) Ah, that's unusual punishment. We're taking your kids away and giving them to them. (laughs) Not that that would happen, but it might one day. but. But Thomas clearly says he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. John 14, 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Now, Thomas was brave enough to ask the question that everyone was probably wondering. How are we going to know the way? We don't know the way. Where are you going? But Thomas was brave enough to ask the question. And, of course, he probably got a lot of amens when he did. <laughs> Amen, brother, ask it. But Thomas wasn't afraid to ask the questions. So how did he go from follower to famous skeptic? Now on the night Jesus was arrested, Thomas and all the disciples scattered. They ran away. And I know that John and some followed behind, but they they weren't really, you know, there per se. And we know that Peter denied Jesus three times. But the rest of the disciples weren't there. And Thomas wasn't there. Now after the death of Christ, a lot of the disciples gathered together for maybe for fear of their lives and trying to figure out what they're going to do for their whole lives. Everything they're invested in their lives died. That was hard. Now, if you invested your life, gave up everything you had for a certain thing, and it's gone, you'd be devastated too. But Thomas, for some reason, didn't go back to the group. So when he... So because he didn't go back, he missed me missed out. <clears throat> he didn't miss he missed out on Resurrection Sunday. What a thing to miss out on. See, if you go out and you you uh, run away and you're not part of the church for whatever reason, you're going to miss out. We never know when when things are going to happen. So you don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I hate it. I hated missing church because I knew that if I missed it, that was going to be the best night of the week or month or year. So I was afraid to miss it. <laughs> we, need, we need that kind of dedication to things. I know we have vacations and different things, but anyway. <clears throat> so the greatest event in all of history, and Thomas missed it. Now Jesus was alive and knew that Thomas had deserted him and the fellowship or the church. When something happens in our life and we desert the church or the fellowship, Jesus knows about it. There's nothing we can't hide from God. He sees our heart. And if we're going through something in our heart, we aren't going to find it by running away from the church. That's when you need the church or the body of the believers the most. Because we are to help each other. We are to lift each other up in prayer. That's our job as believers in a body of Christ, to help each other. If one part of the body suffers, all of us should suffer. So we need to do that. John 20, 25. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas not only denies the the testimony of the disciples who he has spent three and a half years with, 
He doubted their testimony. He not only denied the testimony, he took it a step further and demanded proof that Jesus was alive. He wanted the proof of it because he wasn't going to believe it otherwise. <clears throat> Thomas was quickly slipping in a dangerous spiritual spiral at this point in his life. And only Jesus could help him. John 20, 26 and 27. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him. Through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. A week goes by. And Thomas is there in all of his doubts and, and he's hearing the, all this, the stories that the disciples are talking about Jesus being alive and he is in anguish in his heart and in his soul because of it. Now this was probably a rough week for Thomas. I'll tell you, I, I, I've been having my heart churned up for longer than that so I can imagine what he went through at this point in time. But when he came back to the church... He didn't leave. Even though he was suffering all these things in his heart, he stayed. And because he stayed, Jesus appeared to him again. <clears throat> now, doubt is not necessarily negative until it leads you to choose not to believe. How many times have we st heard stories about Elvis being alive after his death? Now, I doubt the reality of that. Elvis is dead. Don't listen to those stories. It doesn't matter. And I've still heard stories that Kennedy's still alive after he, got, he was assassinated, supposedly. There's all kinds of stories out there. Don't believe them. Those are the things we got to doubt. But there's enough proof and evidence that Jesus was rose from the dead. He died on the cross. They put him in the tomb, and it was empty. And they had no explanation for it. I think they would have loved to have found a body, but they couldn't find one because he was alive. And that's the message. So we have that proof. And they had some, as many as 500 people saw Jesus at one time. They said, oh, it was just a couple of people that saw him. No, he did not. There was at least 512 witnesses to it. And probably more than that, but it records in Acts that he appeared to 500 at one time. So that's the number I'm going to use. <clears throat> so there was enough evidence that Jesus was alive. Now, believing means... Oh, let's see, let's see where are we at. Jesus was literally saying to Thomas, you are acting like a person who has no faith. Stop it and believe. Now, the only way to survive our doubts is to believe. Now, we aren't to, like I said, we aren't to believe everything that's going around, but believing means to put our complete trust in something or someone. To believe in Jesus means to depend totally on Jesus and place our trust in him 100%. Do you believe? Have you put your trust in him? Uh, John 20, 28. <clears throat> Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, when Jesus appears to him, and after the resurrection, he says, here. 
He didn't say, hey, you idiot, you fool, you dirtbag. Why in the world are you doubting? He didn't do that. He didn't condemn the, the, the fact that he asked for these things. He was kind to him. But he said, here, put your hands here. Look, here's my side. Look, there's the sword. There's where it went. Put your hand in here. And Thomas, his reaction was to fall at the feet of Jesus and worshiping. And he says to him, my Lord and my God. This is the most profound statement we have in the New Testament. And who spoke these words? Who was the first one to speak these words? Doubting Thomas. Doesn't make sense, does it? But he's the one that spoke the words that we need to focus on. In a sense, he was saying, Jesus is Lord of all things and the God of all creation. We have a, have a lot of people saying, oh yeah, Jesus was a good man. He was a lot of things, but he wasn't God. Well, if he wasn't God, he was a liar. And we should just go home. Because a person could not die on a cross for my sin. Because people are born with a sin nature. Only God could not sin. I know that he was tempted, yet without sin. And we look at that and we say, oh yeah, he suffered just like we did. And he did. But he could not sin. It was impossible for Jesus to sin because he was God. God cannot sin. So if, that, if you have some other uh, interpretation in your doctrine, throw it out. Because if Jesus wasn't God, throw the Bible away. Because it's all a lie. And we can't believe one word of it. And when Thomas fell at the feet of Jesus and worshipped him, Jesus didn't say, oh, no, 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 d- d- don't worship me, don't worship me. Well, I'm just like you. He didn't say that. We've seen occurrences in the... In the uh, Bible or in the Old Testament, where people have tried to fall down to the feet of angels. And they said, oh, no, don't worship me. I'm just a servant like you. But Jesus received worship. And we are only allowed to worship God. So this is a profound statement, and this is the foundational statement of our belief in Christ. He wasn't just a man. If he wasn't God, he was a liar or a lunatic and should have been locked up in the mental institution. That's the reality of it. <clears throat> so if you're having trouble believing that, read the Gospel of John. I told someone this week that I was counseling, I says, read the book of John. Read it through every day for 21 days. If you'll do that faithfully every day for 21 days, at the end of that 21 days, you will believe. <clears throat> because it's the gospel of belief. And John tells us that. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing you might have life through his name. Hallelujah. That's why John was written. That's my favorite gospel in the Bible. They all served a different purpose, but that was the purpose of John, for us to believe. So we need to believe. <clears throat> And after 2,000 years, the tomb is still empty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's good news. I've been there. I've seen it. And he's not there. Now, this has been a good Easter sermon. (laughs) (laughs) 
But maybe we need Easter sermons other times too. But it's still empty. He's alive. Quit doubting. Believe. Have you had a declaration of faith in Christ? Is he your Lord and your God? John 20, 28. The other part, I guess the second part of the verse. So then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus tells us, tells Thomas, that he believed because he has seen and was convinced. Jesus is saying that we are blessed because we have not seen, and yet we believe. What does it mean to doubt? There are two key definitions. The first means to be double-minded or have a lack of focus or commitment. And the second means to have no faith at all. That's what doubt is. Now, it's easier to believe after we've seen, but it doesn't require faith. So, oh, wow. How can that be? Because if we've seen something, we don't need to have any effort to believe it. I've seen this podium up here, and I believe it exists. Because I've seen it. But the things of God, we can't see all the times. Now, maybe you're just waiting for a chance to save, to have some proof. Well, there's some proof here this morning. God himself is in this service through his Holy Spirit. He lives inside of every believer that's here. He lives inside of me. And if you're a believer, he lives inside of you. And he promised to be here. So he is here this morning. If you can't feel him, you need to get your radio turned to the right channel. Stop doubting and believe. That's a choice. We choose to believe or not believe. And if you don't believe, we need to read this so we have something to believe in. See, we have a world out there that don't believe because they don't know they have read the Bible. Or they say it's too hard to understand. It isn't. The Bible was written for an eight-year-old to understand. I know that after I was raised on cut my teeth on the King James Version, and I never had a problem with it. At my youngest age, I never had a problem with it. Because if you have a heart seeking God, you read it, and pretty soon it'll make sense. It's just like studying anything. If you're a mechanic here this morning, and you've never seen a car before, and you go out and lift the hood, you aren't going to know how to fix that engine. But once you start studying about engines and knowing how they work, how the combustion works and how the carburetor works and all this other kind of stuff, then all of a sudden you can believe because you understand it. Now, I'm not going to tell you you're going to understand everything in this Bible. But I'm saying if if it matters to you enough and you want to understand it, you've got to keep praying about it until you do. Because God never turned anybody away that asked a question about something. He didn't turn Thomas away and said, hey, throw him out. He wouldn't believe your report, throw him out. He didn't do that. He answered his question. He says, here, here it is. And God did the same thing for us. If you want to know an answer, keep praying about it until he does then all of a sudden you say, oh man, I understand it. Why did I have such a hard time with that? Well, you had a hard time because you weren't willing to pray about it. 
you weren't willing to read his word. And it's hard to understand stuff if you don't get to know the author. When you know the author, you can understand what he's telling us. I don't know whether you've ever had um, a loved one go somewhere, and of course I know now we have email. Didn't have, all we had was snail mail growing up. So we didn't have that instantaneous stuff that we had, and so we look forward to letters from our loved ones, especially if it's your sweetheart that's gone somewhere. And all the letters come, and you're, ah, 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 and you read it, and you reread it, and oh, you don't have any problems understanding what he meant. Why? Because you knew the author. Well, that same thing applies to God, applies to Jesus Christ. He says, read, let understand this. Because when you know me, you'll understand what I'm telling you. And his message is a message of love. Not throw them out because they can't understand something. Throw them out because, because they're, they're not, they, are, they don't think they're good enough. Don't th- throw them out because, you know, whatever reason, you fill in the gap. We have a, a lot of people that, that try, well, would like to come to church, but they feel inadequate. They feel like, how can I come to God with my life? They don't understand it. See, we don't have to clean the fish before, before we catch them. We have to catch them first, and then God cleans them. See, we have a lot of problem with, with fishermen that are going out there and fishing, but they want to clean them too, and we can't do that. How many people have ever taken a shower before you take a bath? Anybody? <laughs> Why? It's stupid. I'm going to take a bath or I'm going to take a shower, but I'm not going to do both unless you go to a public pool or whatever, and then you do because they make you. But generally speaking, we don't do that. Well, that's what Jesus says to us. He says, come to me. Don't worry about all that baggage you have. Don't worry about your past sin. Don't worry about anything because I died for you. I love you this morning. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you should have done that you didn't do. Because I love you. I died for you. Know me. Get to know me and you'll know how much I love you. If we could only get to know him and know how much he loves us, it wouldn't be a problem at all following him. We wouldn't, if everyone in this congregation did that, we wouldn't have any conflict in this church at all. None. Because we'd be on the same page. We'd be on wanting what God wanted us to do. And it wouldn't be a problem if we have a vacancy in the church for somebody, a ministry, because people should be fighting over the opportunity to do it. We didn't go to churches when we first come here because there was no opportunity for us to minister, to serve. Of course, we ended up in a difficult situation after that, and that's how we ended up coming back here, even though we've been in Assembly of God churches our whole life. When we first came here, there was nothing for us to do. But then I said, well, I'd rather have nothing to do than listen to a doctrine that was churning my stomach. And that's the only time we've ever left the church in our whole life, except for when we had to move. The only time. Because when we go in there and we feel like God wants us there, we stay. The winds can blow all they want. People can argue about the color of the carpeting or songbooks or, or they didn't like that certain message from the preacher this morning or whatever it was. But I'm staying, I'm sticking. Until God tells me to step aside, step down. Or he takes me home. The way things have been going in my life lately, I think that that's going to happen first. 
But when we know him, it's not an issue. Do you know him this morning? Are you doubting? We don't have to doubt. We can believe. Because it's a fact. They can try to tell you anything that they want, but they have no proof. There's more evidence that the Bible and Jesus and all this stuff happened than any other thing in history. We have more biblical texts that we have that's almost word for word for what we have here today. And that's a lot of proof. They have a few, few bits and pieces of one particular book, Eliph or whatever it is, what was that, Eliph? Uh, whoever it is anyway, it's an old book that they found. And, huh? Iliad. Yeah, that's who it is. Iliad. And they talk about him and all this other kind of stuff that supposedly happened, and they have very little that they know about him from this. We have a hundred, we have thousand times more proof here than that. And yet, who do they choose to believe? That. Why? Because then we don't have to give up our sin. That's why. People don't come to Christ to be, to, and get saved because they have to give up their sin. You don't have to give up anything else to be a believer except your sin. But see, we like our sins. Some of our sins we've had around for a long time, and we like them. They're our pet sins. And it's hard. I had a lot of those too. And when I came, God didn't all of a sudden get rid of all those things that I had a desire to do all at once. Some of those things I struggled with, and some of those things I still struggle with after all these years. Because the devil knows my weaknesses. One of the hardest things I had when I, before I was a believer, well, I went to church and all that and lived a religion, but until I actually had an encounter with God, and, and all of a sudden all that stuff made sense to me, and I got that wow moment. Every time I got upset, first thing I did, no matter how many times I quit smoking, was grab a cigarette. First thing. Because that was, that was my relief. The next thing was a 12-ounce pull-up. That's the way I handled problems. Because I couldn't deal with it. And so I still have those issues sometimes. And the devil still gets in my ear. See all these things that are going on? Just go get a cigarette and a beer and forget it. You say, oh, you have those thoughts? Yes! I'm human, but I don't do it. Why? Because I'm going to serve God. I love God. And if I just hold out, sooner or later, God will help me get through that. But I have to struggle with them. Because when you struggle something, that's what makes you stronger. You're not going to get stronger and being able to do a hard job by going home and lifting toothpicks. I worked in a warehouse for a job that I had to, <clears throat> that I had that was a good job, and I had I lifted thirty forty thousand pounds a day, and I'll tell you that first week of that job I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Lift this stuff, oh no! And I went home and I hurt so bad I could hardly even move. But after a couple weeks, okay, I finally started getting better, and then I got stronger. And I could throw a 100-pound bag of flour seven feet in the air without blinking an eye. Because I did it all the time. I got strong. I could grab a 175-pound man and throw him out into the yard with one hand. Yeah, I did that. It's another story. You want to know about it? Uh-oh, I guess i got to tell it because I mentioned it. When our kids were little... <coughs> 
They had everything. Our kids were spoiled rotten. And they had everything. If they had the new game, we were the first one that had the Atom computer. That was the first computer that came out. We paid $700 or $800 for that thing. And that was a lot of money. When it was it, 30, 35 years ago? Whatever it was. That's a lot of money. A lot of money now. <clears throat> but we got that. They had the Atari. Oh, man, we got that for them, too. They had everything. We had a game room. Upstairs were those pool tables and games for them to play. They were spoiled rotten. But all the kids were over at the house, and we knew where they were at. But they had a game, and they had a friend that came over, and he stole a game. And I, they knew he had stolen it. So I went over to the house, and I asked. You know, I knocked on the door, and I says, uh, after your son was left, I says, I think he might have mistakenly or accidentally taken one of our games home with him. And it was a game Zaxxon, I don't know whether you know about it. It was one of the first games that had the most graphics that, man, it was an awesome game because of that. And he said, no, my son's got one, but it's his. Someone such and such give it to him. And I says, well, uh, if you show it to me, we've marked the, the game, and uh, I'll know if it's ours. And he said, no, I ain't doing nothing. And I was talking to him, and I talked with my hands. So he, he went in, and soon, <coughs> excuse me, that, and I was talking to him, and he slammed the door as hard as he could, and it hit my hand. And the door bounced off my hand without thinking. I just reached in there and grabbed him by his sweatshirt, and I threw him out in the yard. And every time he got up, I threw him down again. Until finally his sweatshirt tore and he got away. And my kids were standing there at the fence. They were little. And they thought, oh, man, don't you mess with my mother. <laughs> Because I was, I was strong. I'm not no more. I can't do that now. They'd wop the floor up with me now. But I was strong back then, and nobody messed with me growing up. So anyway, he, he finally ran back in the house. Well, I'm calling the cops on you, and all this other kind of stuff. Well, I guess it was the next day. Some cops knock on the door. Randy answers the door, and he says, is your wife home? Says, yeah, she's upstairs. So the cops come in, there's two of them, and they go upstairs and they look at me and their mouths drop. And they said, ah, and they about lost it. They says, well, we have a, an assault complaint against you, against this guy, and this guy evidently just got out of prison uh, a couple weeks before. <clears throat> and he said, so he called us because you assaulted him. And he says, I gotta tell you, if someone your size were to beat me up, I'd be too embarrassed to tell anybody. <laughs> That's what they said, laughing, and we talked for a while. They says, uh, this is over as far as we're concerned, because we told them the whole story of what had happened, and, and that, and so they left, and I guess it was a week later, I guess the, the kid, was kind of maybe he was afraid I don't know what and he called us and he you know he says you know if you want to come and look at this game and see if it's yours okay and I says okay and Randy says you're not going <laughs> he wouldn't let me go he's the defender of people <laughs> so he went met this kid it was only what how old was this kid seven or eight yeah. and um, he uh, said looked at him and said let me see it yeah it's ours thanks 
So he got it back, but that was a story about that. <laughs> so, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter what your past is. Is that something I'm, I'm ashamed of? Well, in some respects I am, in others I'm not. <laughs> it's a good funny story. You know, we, we grow, and, and if you look back the hard things that happened in your life, and you can laugh at them, that's kind of where you make the biggest bonds is during those times, isn't it? So maybe you have a past you're not so proud of. Maybe it's not as colorful as mine. I have a lot more stories I could tell you. And God has really done a work on me. I mean, you th- may, if you follow me around, sometimes you may wonder if I'm even saved. Don't laugh, I followed you around. Sometimes I'd probably wonder that about you, too. <laughs> See, but God doesn't care. He died for us. He died for that. He, he didn't say, clean up your act and come to me. He says, come to me. I'll take care of you. I'll do what I need to do for you. So that's all we had need to do, is come to him as we are and let him take care of the things in our life. So we need to stop doubting and believe. Here's a choice this morning. Are you going to continue to doubt, or are you going to believe? Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and your blessings, and we just ask, Lord, for everyone that is here. And I just ask, Lord, if someone doesn't know you this morning, that they will change.